The following Art Trap production has been made possible in part by subscribers like you. Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi with Ken Deep, James Norton, and Louis Trapani. Welcome to Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, Episode 4. This is Louis Trapani, and with me are my two fellow... Partners in crime, as I like to say, Mr. Ken Deep and James Norton. Hi. Hi. <laughs> James is across the pond, as always. Well, not always, as always. Sometimes he's on this side well, of the pond. One time he was on this side of the pond. <laughs> More than once, but uh, it was... Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Brain freeze. Well, I was just about to ask you how you both are you doing. James, we already know you are... Your, your brain is freezing there, and here, uh, where Ken and I are located, our brains are melting a bit. Sweating, it's, yeah. It's, is it uh, warm where you are? Yeah, we're it's, having a bit of August weather in April. It is mm. definitely uh, unusually warm for New York in late April. It's been quite nice here in Old York this past week, but now we've, we've got a bit of rain, so we haven't had many April showers, but now I think it's catching up with us, unfortunately. It doesn't feel too long ago we were shoveling snow, and now it's in the 80s. Mm. Weird thing, right. weather. Well, enough about the weather. Let's talk about sci-fi. Not yeah, only sci-fi, but do. British sci-fi, which kind of reminds me of some of the feedback. Uh, we're going to have feedback later on, but some immediate feedback to kind of address right now at the beginning of the show is that some people have asked us. We do realize that a lot of people listen to Dr. Hupachak, also listen to this show, The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. And to that end, some of our listeners have asked, well, are you going to be covering Doctor Who? And will it be the same Doctor Who news that you'll be covering in uh, Doctor Who Parchock? So, of course, uh, Doctor Who is British science fiction, and anything that warrants coverage will cover it, you know, as far as major news. But since uh, we do do a show that's concentrated on Doctor Who Parchock, and we're going to assume that most of you do listen to that show as well, we won't get into the... Um, minutiae of Doctor Who here. We'll save that for Doctor Who Pachok, but for anything that's um, um, newsworthy for general science fiction fans or British science fiction fans, it would warrant a mention here. So there'll be some overlap, but we'll try to, to um, keep that, that to a minimum. Mm, mm. But we won't ignore it either. No. <laughs> I mean, uh, you can't do a show about British science fiction and completely ignore Doctor Who, so... Well, it's a, a big, big part of uh, British sci-fi, of course, uh, and indeed the longest-running sci-fi show since uh, since since ever. Whenever, ever. So, yeah, so <laughs> I mean, you you can't ignore it. Period. Whenever you're talking about any sci-fi, not just not just British sci-fi, it's a British institution and it's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, so we we are going to talk about it. But one thing which I've been dying to to get talking about uh, ever since I, I heard that it was coming back and we've kind of talked about it in dribs and drabs um, in previous Hitchhikers episodes but I finally got the chance to catch up with the, the new uh, Red Dwarf series back they, to Earth. they brought it back they brought it back back to Earth um, and they broadcast it just over Easter and uh, they we talked I think a, a in the past few episodes, mm-hmm. that yeah. it's going to be a two or a three-parter. It was eventually revealed to be a four-parter with with three episodes and one kind of making-of series, which is, I think, ever since Doctor Who Confidential, it seems that you a lot have of making-of series. Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. It seems that, that that everybody now has cottoned on to to this being a, a big hit with the fans, so they're they're all making these making-of programs as well. 
and I finally had the chance to sit down and, and watch them all sort of back to back. And um, it was a, a terrific uh, thing for Easter. I'm, I'm so pleased that they did it. Had, and it was. Yeah, I, I mean, I did the same. We had a, a it was a a, um, plethora, a plethora of doc, well, of British science fiction coming to us this Easter weekend. Well, last week, whatever it was, a couple of weekends ago where we had both a new Doctor Who special and Red Dwarf as well. So it was, uh, and it was on the Dave network. Yes. Which is um, a relatively, well, I say new channel, but it, it, I think before it was Dave, it was UK TV gold or something like that. Um, but it, it rebranded itself probably just a little over a year ago now to be called Dave as the home of witty banter. So um, Dave is separate from the BBC. It's not affiliated with the BBC. It's to my knowledge, it's not affiliated to the BBC okay. um, because previously to- Red Dwarf was a BBC production. This is right. Um, Red Dwarf has, prior to this, always been a BBC production, um, and and I have to say, uh, one of its most popular shows before it, it ended some ten years ago. Um, still, I think to this day it holds the the records in terms of ratings for BBC Two. Every every new series of red dwarf it was always broadcast on bbc2 and it would it would win the highest ratings for any show that week it was hugely popular in its heyday if you so to speak and it, i believe that that they wanted to originally do it on the bbc mm-hmm. but i don't think they offered the package that they were quite looking for that um doug the, the head producer doug naylor wanted to to, to do it in a very specific way, and I think that the BBC couldn't entertain the possibility. They, uh, particularly, not just for a a four-parter or a three-parter. So Dave, uh, I think, took it off, said, "Well, we'll, we'll do it." And consequently, Dave has had its its highest uh, ratings ever. I think the the first episode get, got about 2.6 million viewers, which doesn't sound like a great deal, but you've got to remember that this is a, a free view channel. It's a digital channel, um, and it, in that particular time slot, it averages a, a tenth of that. Um, so it really it really was Dave's biggest ever ratings ever since yeah. since the, the channel's mm-hmm. been. Well, it's not surprising. It, it has such a large fan base. It's um, to my to my information, it um, it attracted over um, two million viewers for yep. the, the the new Back to Earth series. Mm. And I think it was the second most watched multi-channel program of the day, as they say. Um, and it, it was also a big hit because um, Dave also has a one plus channel which they call Dave Javu and that had very high ratings as well. <laughs> I like um, the name. Yeah, well I don't and it was also kind of cool because they had um you know the, the lead one of the lead characters is a guy called Lister whose full name is Dave Lister, David Lister. So mm-hmm. they changed the name of the channel for the, you know they have this little ident in the top left hand corner and they changed it changed it to Dave Lister which I thought was kind of funny. They they've got generally quite a good sense of humor I think. Um the channel and, and and for those that aren't familiar with Red Dwarf, it's a British science fiction comedy series that yes. ran from 1988 to 1999 on BBC Two, and it's uh, as James had mentioned, it remains the channel's highest-rated show. So um, it had it had this well t- a 10-year anticipation of it coming back, and it finally came mm. back. And um, so yeah, people kind of went to it in, in droves to see what it was about. Now. I, I saw, and I have to say, let me just preface it saying that I'm not a diehard Red Draw fan. I would watch it uh, when it was on uh, my local PBS station, and uh, it was, you know, entertaining. But it, I wasn't. Um, I haven't seen all of them, and I, I've watched a lot of them, but I haven't seen all of them. And I'm not, like I said, a diehard fan. But I did catch these three, uh, well, the, the, these four specials, and you include the making of. And I have to say that uh, I really enjoyed them. I thought they were, uh, I was laughing out loud and came, you know, come episode two. And I won't give any spoilers away, but I'm also a big Blade Runner fan. I've always been a big Blade Runner fan. So mm. maybe that has, um, you know, a lot to uh, do with it. That has something to do with it, too. <laughs> yeah. And I, I loved that, that it was heavily influenced by Blade Runner. Um, and it, it was a, a real homage, you could say, without giving too much away. And it was it was incredibly cleverly written. It, I, it was kind of different to uh, a lot of the Red Dwarf episodes. Um, and I, I 
knew that it would be because you that you saw a lot of they one thing that dave really did very well was a lot of viral marketing they had a lot of um stuff on the web and uh, this this website listerscominghome.co.uk um and they they really work very well with magazines like sfx who actually play a big key part in in the storyline uh, which i thought was kind of cool and, and funny and the whole thing was was very very nicely um put together and each each part really did have its kind of own flavor as well which was uh, was really quite cool mm-hmm. and th- there were certain things which i found that i didn't really understand when i watched it the first time but when you've seen all three parts it kind of all comes together mm-hmm. uh, now, if you are a diehard fan, I've I've noticed some some of the feedback that I've received from diehard fans is that they didn't like some of the things that they did in yeah. the story. So, you know, um, it could go either way. Like that's why I sort of preface this saying that I wasn't a diehard fan; I was a casual fan. And for me, I really enjoyed it because of that. I I didn't have um, I guess my stake in it wasn't so high because of that, and I was just able to enjoy it for what it is and what it was, and and not feel let down or disappointed because of that yeah well i i would probably class myself as a a diehard red dwarf fan i've got um all the dvds and it's something that i that i grew up with alongside doctor who i was always a, a huge red dwarf fan and i can kind of see why why hardcore fans mm-hmm. wouldn't like it yeah I, it, I understand the point as well you know uh, yeah, without giving anything away it doesn't have the same of the story may yeah. spoil it you know may spoil the rest of the series for you in a sense but if you keep watching it it sort of makes up for it later on yes the, it, it 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 i think it dips in the second episode in terms of its kind of the flavor of red dwarf red dwarf usually has this uh, particular style and it, it kind of dips in the second part and becomes less about the sci-fi and more about the comedy i think mm-hmm. um, but it really picks back up in part three and i think that they did that very cleverly because they wanted to kind of whet your appetite and see um where it would take you and and i that was kind of a bit of a risk i guess because they 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 risked losing the viewers and risked losing people coming back. But I think that if you if you sit down and watch them all in one go and treat it like it is a movie, then I think it works. It works very well. Um, I think that they they purposefully split it out into three separate episodes. And, and we should say Just, that the episodes were like half hour long. Um, yeah, half hour. Mm-hmm. So in, in total, it, it was a, like a one and a half hour. I see it as almost like a one and a half hour movie. Sure. Um, I think that's for me. That's the best way to see it. I think that's the best way to sit down and watch it, um, because otherwise I can understand why people might get a bit frustrated with it. And Dave but, showed these consecutively one night after the other, so that you didn't yes. have to wait a week. And then the follow. I think on the Monday because they had the making they, of. They had the making of, and then the following day, I think they showed all three of them back to back, which was really cool because. The thing that I really hate about kind of episodic specials is that if if you're not in all the time or can't record them or whatever, you know, then you're kind of stuffed. Whereas it was great that they they decided, well, at the end of at the end of it all, we'll broadcast them all um, at the end. And they also um, kind of made each night into a red dwarf night, which was really cool and 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 kind of showed a lot of episodes where they reference things in uh, Back to Earth, particularly. One episode, which was which was kind of key to the whole thing, which I, I won't reveal, because for for fear of spoiling it, but uh, that was really cool as well, and I I recorded all of those as well, and even though I have them on DVD, um, but I think they're also going to release all of these on DVD as well as a special. Yeah, which yeah is, from my understanding, I, I don't have the date handy, but I think it's fairly soon. Yeah, it seems to that they have a, a fairly. Uh, quick turnaround which is is nice one thing that i will say it was great that they could get all the original cast members back Absolutely. and everybody makes... well, though there was some disappointment that there was no holly of yeah either, that, that's either true that, that's that's true um which i was kind of disappointed about as well but that is explained um they do explain that um which is is kind of a bit lame and that was the one thing that i was disappointed that they they didn't bring holly back but uh, for, for the same reason 
I don't see how you could fit Holly into the storyline the way the way it is because mm-hmm. it is back to Earth, and because they're going back to Earth, you you can't have Holly there. Um, you could you know maybe you could have had her yeah, or him one. the just in episode one, yeah. but that would be the only point in which you could 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 have Holly there. But um, as it, as we're kind of giving a little bit of a review here, I'm going to give it four out of five stars if you like or red dwarfs or, because uh, or as i or as we say on our site um smegheads yes okay <laughs> four out of five smegs well smegheads um it, it 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 was kind of you have to take it in the light that it is a special and over on dot two Podshop, we recently reviewed planet of the dead and a lot of people i think um had a few complaints about it and and so on as they tend to do with the specials but what you have to remember with specials is that they're exactly that it's not it's never going to be like um a a series because you can't possibly do that in an hour episode or an hour and a half um uh, episode even if you split it up into little parts you can't do that it's it's very difficult you've got to keep it kind of light-hearted and um in in order for it to retain its uniqueness so you have to take it as a bit of fun and i think if you do that then you can be very pleased as a red dwarf fan um with with the the uh, with the episodes with the with the specials mm-hmm. so i i was very thrilled about it and i i'm kind of hoping that they do some more although i i'm not so sure i think this may well be their kind of big finale so well. to speak yeah yeah well I because mean, the ratings were there and you know it'd mm. be great if they could do some more even if it's just specials you know it's, yeah you know that but i great. think just from the look of the production value which was very very high i think it did cost them an awful lot of money i think it's probably the most dave has ever spent because certainly to my mind i think it's the only thing that dave has ever done on its own usually they just buy in uh, repeats from other channels. Now, Dave um, is, is is it a commercial channel? I'm I'm just looking at how they get their revenues. I mean, BBC obviously has licensing fees, but how does Dave make their money? Well, Dave is is a satellite channel, uh, a cable channel, so, and okay, a preview so channel. So it's a premium channel that you would have to subscribe. No, no, it, it, it's it's free. Oh, it okay. is on this thing called Freeview, which um, uh, is essentially uh, a digital television. Um, and I think it's part funded by both ITV and the BBC. Um, but they don't have commercial breaks. They don't have advertising. They or... do. They do have commercial breaks, which is how they get the majority of their revenue. I see. And the uh, they basically just show other people's programming. So most of it is actually the BBC, and it's kind of seen as like the bloke channel, really, because it's it's all comedy. Yeah, they have uh, they have things like sort of QI. Like Spike in the US has the, the, the Spike channel that's aimed a bit. at men. Yeah, it's it's aimed at kind of guys. It's comedy and Top Gear basically. They show a lot of Top Gear, mm. a lot of old repeats of Top Gear, um, and as I say, it previously was UK TV Gold, I think, um, before it it became. Uh, uh, Dave, the home of witty banter. So it's essentially like a comedy side. Um, so I believe that the bulk of their revenues is made through advertising, um, and as a result, it's 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 one of those multi-channel uh, uh, stations. Um, so it has a, a, typically a very low um, uh, number of viewers, uh, hardly ever over um, half a million. Um, so this is why Red Dwarf was quite a, a, unusual because they had almost like uh, for at least four times the highest ratings that they'd ever had before and certainly ten times what they usually get. So uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't want to do anything new. But they've been talking about doing a Red Dwarf movie for ages and nothing materialized. So I don't know if this was – if they used some of the material that they were going to use in the movie for Back to Earth or – quite how that works and whether indeed they will do a movie in the future on the back of this but mm-hmm. i'm thinking probably not um but we'll see well, we'll see I, i'm gonna give it four and a half smeg heads and i i thought it was very enjoyable and again this is coming from an, a non you know devoted like um 
uh, Red Dwarf. Blake said that. No, I'm always said that. Red Dwarf, you are, you know, so uh, I, I, again, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have that big of a stake in it. I just took it for what it was and I thought it was very enjoyable. Also, anyone that's a, a, a Blade Runner fan, it's worth just checking out if just, yeah, just, just for, for the that, nods yeah. that are given to Blade Runner and that that in itself. I, I think maybe if it, if they if you remove the Blade Runner references, I would maybe drop it down to three and a half smeg heads, but it's four and a half because of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, it's well worth it, I think, even just for that. Um, right. But anyway, well, we digress. Very good. And uh, so... So yeah, catch the, if you haven't seen it, grab the DVDs when they come out. Hopefully, um, I don't know about Region One DVDs. Hopefully, they'll be showing up soon. Yeah, I imagine that. I don't know if it's been shown in the states, but I imagine that they will show it at some stage. If not on PBS, then maybe even on the Sci-Fi Channel. I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to do some research and check that out. I'll let you guys know next time. But certainly, pick up the DVDs and. I think that they're just releasing it on one disc because uh, I think even with the making of it, it's, it's worth it because um, that's kind of like this all the special features roll into one. So, yeah, catch it if you can. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that has happened since our last recording, I believe, is um, tying into another British science fiction fantasy type of show, uh, which is uh, Life on Mars. The U.S. version of that has been canceled and they come to their conclusion and had their finale which was quite controversial because um, for those that may have seen it, and I'm not going to give anything away, it was, uh, at least from the feedback that I've gotten, it seemed very disappointing across the, across the board. basically. It's, but isn't, isn't, that, isn't that kind of a metaphor from, for the entire series, though? Well, no, I, I think the series, uh, again, I, I mean, I've said it plenty of times on, on this show that I've always preferred the, the original British version as the proper Life on Mars, and, um, and I, I felt that the, the original Life on Mars was just more deep, and it just was more believable. And having said all that, the U.S. version, um, in comparison to re- to the rest of the landscape of U.S. television, I thought it was a, a good show, you know, it, and it was finding its own feet and its own ground. And it, it did cover a lot of material that was already covered in the British series, but it was also covering new ground as well. And it was, they were trying mm-hmm. to go in their own direction. So it was, um, you know, again, it wasn't as good as the British version. It had some, um, and I'm not going to retread material that we already covered in past episodes, but... But um, it had some flaws from yeah. what it said, what you were saying. Um, but what the ending did was kind of wipe out, I mean, I've I, people that I've heard from, from feedback that we've gotten, um, you know, via Twitter or whatever, is that people went and erased every episode that they were saving after the ending. They just didn't even want to save even the stuff they liked. It just kind of ruined it for them. So, uh, but right. the reason I bring this up is that if you are a U.S. viewer of Life on Mars and never seen the British version, please do yourself the favor and watch the British version in by whatever means possible. Hopefully, um, I, I believe there are. Um, I think there, there there's a um, a Region One DVD release in the works. Yeah, yeah I think there is. Um, certainly, they have uh, uh, several different region two versions available and, and i noticed on um on amazon that there were blu-rays of life on mars uh, and yes i'm, I'm yeah. assuming those are pal or the, well not pal but um region two i don't know I, I know i don't know how if they lock them down in regions i know blu-rays have the cap- capability of being region coded but i'm not sure if they are or not um i don't know because um as far as i'm aware it's um it's quite a it's only just been released on blu-ray i think mm-hmm. or if, if, if it hasn't been released it's certainly just in the pipeline um but yeah i don't i honestly don't know because i I'm, I'm still all sd not hd yet yeah um so but it, 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 it even if you can only get it on just ordinary dvd it's well worth checking out it's is uh it's the point of, of it um and i would strongly i haven't seen the u.s series and all this makes um, we've talked a bit about it before. I'd love to see it because um, I've only caught clips here and there. Well, it's not yet been shown yeah. on British terrestrial. Well, the, uh, the, the U.S. ending resolution is very drastically different than the, the British. It's completely different. So, I, again, those that have that were disappointed and, and were upset over the U.S. version ending, 
please know going into the the original British uh, version, it concludes as well. Now, you may or may not like the ending of the British version, but rest assured, it's completely different. So don't Mm. be expecting the same type of ending. It's, you know, it, it concludes in a different way. But this leads us to the spin-off series, Ashes to Ashes, which is a, as I said, is a spin-off series. Uh, Life on Mars, for the most part, takes place in 1973, and Ashes to Ashes, I believe, is 1980, at least the first series, and now series two is in the works. Yeah, well, it's actually being broadcast um, on UK TV uh, at the moment. Uh, we've just uh, episode two has just been broadcast. Um, I, I haven't, which I haven't seen as yet. Uh, I did catch episode one, which was fantastic. Um, the first series, I think, was 1981. And I think that the second series is 1982 or 1983. Although I don't think it's explicitly said. Yeah, unless I was assuming that since Ashes to Ashes is another David Bowie song that was released in 1980. So I was just assuming it was 1980 that the first series it was, again, mm. just my assumption. I haven't seen it yet myself. Yeah, you, you you haven't seen the first series? No, no, not yet. I plan to. I just I have so much stuff that I have to watch. It's just I, I'm, I'm getting <laughs> backlog. <to> it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really worth it. And and in my opinion, I was I was a big fan of Life on Mars, but in my opinion, Ashes to Ashes is even better. Really? Yeah, and wow. it is a different show. It's mm-hmm. a completely different show. Um, I'm I have to say that I'm I'm a huge fan. Uh, of the leading lady and this this perhaps won't mean mean a lot to you uh lewis but keely hawes <laughs> is gorgeous she's uh, amazing and she's a great actress um and it's worth it just to swap the ford cortina for the audi quattro um <laughs> and of course uh gene hunt is back yeah philip Lannister is the Lannister is back in the main role um is the one and only gene hunt really i mean no, no disrespect to um um Oh, I forgot. Just his name escapes me from the U.S. version, but Harvey Keitel. I think is it Harvey Keitel? Yeah, Harvey I think. Keitel. It's yeah. just Gene uh, Philip Glenister Really, it, he created the part, and it, it's uniquely his. Yes, and it's weird because I've seen him interviewed and I've seen him um, on quiz shows and stuff, and he is a completely different guy. Oh, really? He, he really isn't at all like yeah. Gene Hunt at all. I mean, he he doesn't talk like him. Uh, his bravado is completely different. It's really funny to to see. He, it just shows what a terrific actor he is. Um, along uh, anyway, alongside that, um, Ray Carling, who's played by Dean Andrews, and Chris Skelton, who's played by Marshall Lancaster. You know, basically his deputies also are involved. And instead of being set in in Manchester, it's set in London. Um, I think that uh, Gene would say that he's, ta- he's turning his attention to take on the Southern Nancy scum. Um, <laughs> it's all very good and very clever. Um, and it's very much like the, the first, well, I say the first series, but Life on Mars, in that um, a police officer shot, in this case it's Alex Drake, um, played by the beautiful and very, very sexy Keely Hawes. And she's a single mum. Uh, she's got a daughter named Molly, um, and she's she's risen through the ranks. Um, she's very, uh, very much this kind of psychological um, profiler of, of criminals in order to catch them. Um, and she gets shot, kind of similar to uh, Life on Mars, when the when the leading character is, is is run over by a car, hit by a car, and is transported back to the 1980s. Um, and she's trying to figure out how she can. She's not sure whether she's in a coma or whether she is, has really been transported back in time. And she, she sees hints and clues in her in the 1980s, which reveal really what's going on with her. And I'm going to kind of preface it and, and go with a prediction. I think that this is the this second series is the last. Um, even from the first episode, um, even though I've only seen the first episode, it seems like things are really kind of drawing to a close for her and, and the, these kind of visions and clues as to what's going on are becoming more and more, um, more than they ever were in, in the first series anyway. Um, so, so I think this you, is, you think this series, just like uh, Life on Mars had two series and concluded yes. itself, you think this is going to conclude itself at the end of this series? I think so too. And mm-hmm. I think it probably will be the last of its kind. I doubt, I doubt that they'll come back and do something in the 1990s. Although I'd, I'd kind of like to see it just for the funnies. 
um, if they were to do that. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's kind of it's funny because they have um, a crime, obviously, that needs to be solved in each episode, as well as this continuing arc of, of Alex trying to figure out what is is uh, is going on um, and, and with her and her life and everything. Um, and it sounds almost identical to Life on Mars, but it is—it's very different um, in the way that it's shot. In in although it has very many of the same characters, it has a different feel to it, and that's kind of why I love it. Is it, it's it's Life on Mars, but it takes it to an, the next step. Well, my plan is um, what I've been doing is um, since the U.S. version of Life on Mars um, came out in uh, this past fall, this past autumn, I've been rewatching. It whetted my appetite for the real Life on Mars, so I've been rewatching that. So I'm um, halfway through the second series again, rewatching it, and as soon as that ends, I'll pick up with Ashes to Ashes after that. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to it, and thank you for the the insight there. You're welcome. You're quite welcome. So let's uh, try to bring Ken back into the conversation here. And um, I guess Ken... he's not much of a red dwarf or Ashes to Ashes <laughs> fan, <laughs> in case you haven't but uh, gathered that. He is a Blake 7 fan, and I think he's been catching up with some of the audio dramas from Blake 7. Yeah, well, no, not audio dramas. I, I've um, I picked up the uh, BBC audio, the, the talking books, the... Um, mm-hmm. They took the Trevor Hoyle's book, The Beginning, and divided it into The Way Back and Cygnus Alpha, and I was listening to those, and and they're very good, actually. A little bit of sound effects and music behind there, and the reads are very interesting. So for Blake 7 fans, there's something new. Horizon, which is the apparently the official fan club of Blake 7 now, uh, has available for order uh, some signed copies. So if you're into signed copies, that's uh, that's something that's pretty cool. If not, they're available both in the UK and US from your local retailer. Oh, very good. Or your online retailer. Whichever you can gain access to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do we have now? You've been you talked about Ashes to Ashes and, and a little bit of Life on Mars and a little bit of Red Dwarf. Uh, any any Torchwood news? Well, we have this summer, we have Children of Earth. Torchwood is a mini-series, if you will. It's an abbreviated series of Torchwood. And um, speculation is running high that I think it's um, June. June, yeah. Is um, yeah. where we're looking at when that's going to be uh, transmitted. For mm. those of you who are in the U.K., BBC Torchwood, the, the official Torchwood website, just posted a Children of Earth teaser. Uh, it's only 10 seconds long, but it is on there. So, mm. uh, And I think if you live in the United States, you're... Um, oh, no. Well, let me see if it'll play here. I'm just going to click this. Not available in your area. If you're in the U.S., you're what you're we technically uh-huh. call screwed. <laughs> It's it's just like we were talking about last time. Let's let's yeah. not get onto that, that no. rant again. Yeah, because you know they're not showing it at the exact same time. I mean, well, why would well, they do that? Well, that's why I was going to suggest maybe <laughs> BBC America may have it. Sometimes they um, they've been doing stuff in unison. And I know the trailer originally that was released back in February was on BBC America, you know, I mean, as I'll well. Take a, I'll take a look at that now as we chat. Yeah, I, I just went there now. Mm. It's that. it's it's interesting and it, it's fun and I think it it definitely is confirmed as June now because I I was listening to Chris Moyles last week mm-hmm. and they had uh, John Barrowman on as as a guest because he's he's also doing a a um, essentially Jim will fix it for the uh, the twenty first century uh, he's it's called tonight's the night and it gives someone. Uh, 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 the chance to to carry out their their wish their you know their if they could do one thing what would it be kind of a thing um and he revealed that yeah the, it, it was going to be either june or july but more more emphasis on on june than july so it's it's really only potentially a month away at the time of this recording so and uh, and it, it it's exciting because i think that they started filming uh, Children of Earth way back in August of last year, um, which is quite really quite a long time, almost a year from from starting to record something. Particularly as it's as from what I gather, it's just going to be um, 
several short episodes in essence a mini series um they're kind of taking I, I a bit of a if memory problem. serves it's going to be five episodes as opposed to the usual 13 right and I, th- I think it's even going to be on consecutive nights if i remember rightly i believe so yeah so it, it'll all be over, done and dusted within a week um which is is really is um, a unique way of doing things, I think. Um, but it seems to be the way that all these shows are going. Um, we just talked about Red Dwarf. That mm-hmm. is it that way. Well, Torchwood I'm on the now BBC is... America website right now, and yeah, there's uh, no sign of it. The the latest posting they have is April sixth, Monday, April sixth. Interview with Carol Carol E. Barrowman, who's uh, John Barrowman's sister, where they're discussing. And I haven't watched this yet, but it's a it's a video here, uh, uh, interview where the comic strip of Torchwood that was done that, that they did for Torchwood magazine is discussed in this interview. I've said it before. I've said it again, the BBC is stupid for not releasing this content worldwide because it's only going to be put on, on things like YouTube. But if you go to YouTube and type in children of earth, it'll be there as the top hit, this 10 second preview. It, it's crazy. Why, why don't they direct traffic to their site? You know, it, okay, it would cost us license fee payers a little bit more, but I wouldn't mind if you guys could could catch it because I want, you know, I want. I'm a sci-fi fan, and I, any way that um, you can increase the amount of people who are going to see the show is a good thing, because yeah, you well, increase the amount of people who are then going to go out and buy the DVDs and the merchandise. And I, uh, I know well. we covered this before in the past, so we won't go back into it. But so many U.S. fans that you know will pay the licensing fees. You know, it's it, just give us the content that we want. So in related news, Carol E. Barrowman, who's John's Barrowman's sister, both are coming together once again to uh, write a sequel to their autobiography, um, which they had done, which the, the, the sequel is called I Am What I Am. And um, I'm trying to remember what, the, what the, the first one was called. If you, But anyway, it's a, it's a sequel to that. And it's um, I think it's coming up shortly out. Okay, the original was Anything Goes, and the, as I said, the sequel that they're writing right now is due out oct- October 1st, the 1st of October, and it's I Am What I Am, and both the um, him and his sister are reunited in writing this um, second autobiography outing, and that's that. <laughs> <laughs> said rather succinctly and concisely. <laughs> There's one last thing that I'd, I'd like to kind of sure. talk about. Um, and although it isn't technically sci-fi, um, our good mate, Paul Cornell, who's a, a, a fan of Podshock, a, mm. a friend of Podshock, um, he's a terrific writer. He's, he's done do- uh, episodes of Doctor Who. He's done all sorts of television from Coronation Street um, right the way through to, to writing for comic books, which is what I want to, to talk about on the podcast. Um, and he, he, he'd done um, a Marvel UK series um, called Wisdom, based on a character called Pete Wisdom, who works for MI13, a, uh, a as you guessed it, military intelligence 13, a, a secret division of the UK government, um, essentially into sort of paranormal investigations and all the rest of it. And he's now gone on to write um, uh, Captain Britain and MA13, uh, a comic book done by Marvel, which I've been meaning to catch for absolutely ages. Um, And they just released uh, a a month or two ago um, the first sort of chapter, the first graphic novel, because how he's writing it is he's doing it in sort of like um, uh, story arcs. And uh, last year, Marvel had this huge, big story arc throughout many of their comic books called The Secret Invasion, um, where these alien characters called the Skrulls, who I think originated back in the 60s or the 70s, um, were invading Earth. And essentially, they're shapeshifters, and they can uh, appear as anyone, and they can also mimic superheroes' powers. Um, so I'd been meaning to catch it for ages, and I finally went out and bought the graphic novel uh, this past weekend um, about Captain Britain because I'm a huge Captain Britain fan. Um, I've always I've always enjoyed his stuff ever since Alan Moore uh, came on board and, and wrote several stories for for Captain Britain. And uh, in it, if anybody's a big fan of uh, of 
uh, uh, British comic books, is is on, or indeed British superhero characters. There's Pete Wisdom, Spitfire, um, the the Black Knight, a whole host. Basically, almost every single British superhero that's ever done, been done by Marvel is in it, and it's mm-hmm. a terrific, terrific series. It's almost like. Um, this, this, because it's the first four comic books essentially, plus as a bonus in the end they have um, uh, a Captain Britain and Spider-Man uh, Marvel team up uh, back from 1978 in in the in the back of the the book, which is really awesome. The artwork is um, absolutely fantastic. It really is 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 uh, a class. It's done by a guy called Leonard Kirk, uh, who's done. Um, uh, such things as as agents of Atlant of Atlas, I should say. I nearly said agents of Atlantis. I don't know what's <laughs> what's wrong with me. Um, but it, it really is kind of like science fiction versus uh, fantasy, um, as you have essentially the the Skrull army who have uh, huge uh, technological capability against the superheroes and um, uh, magical beings. Essentially, the Skrull army are trying to. Uh, take over um, the magical realm of Avalon, uh, also known as the other world, which is 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 the gateway to which is in England, um, which is is where Captain Britain comes into it, and all the the British uh, uh, superheroes. It is fantastically well written, needless to say, because obviously it's it's Paul Cornell, um, and I just want to say to anybody who who is very friendly with their local comic book shop. Um, go down. I'm sure that they'll be able to sort out a subscription for you. Um, it is ongoing. Um, they're ho- they're going to release two more graphic novels, I think, in the current arcs, one of which will, will be released in July, and then the, the next one will be released in October. So it's kind of a, a long wait if you're, if you're a graphic novel, novel fan like my, myself. But the comic books are out now if you want to go and get them. Maybe you can get them on um, back issues or back order. But really very, very well done. Um, And I'm so thrilled for Paul because, uh, well, I've always wanted to write for comic books or draw comic books. So it's really awesome that that he's been able to do this and do it in such a a fantastically clever way. And it's been very Um, successful as far as I can tell. It's hugely successful. Um, I mean, I've been kind of out the loop and uh, I'm getting told off by my girlfriends for the whole flat it seems to be full of comic books so i'm trying to to be patient and wait until the graphic novels come out but it it has been a huge hit certainly here in the uk i can't speak about the us um but if you can pick it up do it is very very good not just as a comic book fan but i'd recommend it as a sci-fi fan as well um, Perhaps because we should have uh, Mr. Cornell back on our show. Well, I say back on our show because he's been on Dr. Podchuck a couple times, but we should have him on this show, Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, instead of talking about Doctor Who, talk about Captain Britain. Yeah, I'd, I'd very much like that. I'll have to, to ask him. I'd also like to give him a shout-out and thank him ever so much for inviting me onto his uh, Fantasy Cricket League, which is just starting up uh, right now. And uh, it was it was really cool when I got that invitation from So this is sort of like virtual cricket being played online or something? Yeah, it's kind of like what you'd think is... Um, you, you essentially pick your players that you want on your team and you, they score points as the series goes long and whoever has the most points wins. So it, he's, he set up this little league and he invited me to be a part of it along with uh, <laughs> people like Toby Hayduck is, is, is a part of the league. It's, it really is awesome. And it was a nice surprise in my email to, to get uh, this message from Paul saying, do you want to come along and play some fantasy cricket online, which is really cool. So cheers for that, mate. It was yeah, really, really wonderful chat. Uh, he is a lovely guy. But that being said, shall we, shall we step straight into feedback? We had a submission of artwork for Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. This is unsolicited, where um, it was um, Miles Amell, if I'm pronouncing his name right, had uh, did a beautiful... Well, first of all, let me just back up. And and, um, for those that are familiar with... Well, you would have to be if you're listening to the show. Our cover artwork is sort of uh, a... um, a nod to British science fiction of the late 70s, early 80s, where that, that was the the gist that was going after in, in that artwork. And it was completely rendered in, in Photoshop. And uh, But Miles had saw that and, and thought it was um, 
um, 3D rendering that was done, and that was sort of, you know, what was going after, you know, it, it was part of it, but it wasn't really done that way. But he took it a step further, and he did um, a few versions of it, and the, the final version is available on our website for viewing. If you want to go check it out, Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi.com or alternatively ArtTrap.com will bring you to the same place, and you can see it there. It's a... Um, it's sort of it's in a shape of a CD. One of those like if you remember when CDs originally came out, they were packaged in these um, long um, rectangle boxes, and it and, and it looks like it's in that format. So if you can imagine a podcast in a rectangle long um, box that CDs came in, it's sort of in that format. But it's pretty interesting, and um, and if you listen to the enhanced show right now, you can see it on on um, you know in iTunes or on your iPod right now. I printed it out, um, and it's actually uh, uh, on my desk at work, so it's almost advertising to all of my colleagues uh, about the show. It, it really is awesome, and I have to, to give complete props to Miles and thank him ever so much because it it's great um, that there are people out there who take the time, who enjoy the show. And it's always humbling. Ken always is, says this, and I completely agree. It's really humbling when people just take a bit of time to either write an email or send in some feedback um, be audio and and this was yeah. kind of nice and unique this was because completely it's unsolicited we didn't have a contest yeah, exactly. this is you know we didn't encourage it but this is great i mean it's um fantastic yeah and it was completely out of the blue so it was really awesome thank you ever so much miles yes uh we also got some audio feedback as well and this is from mark goodacre and we're gonna play that right now Hi, Lewis, Ken and James. It's Mark Godaker here, the resident alien out in North Carolina, USA. Just wanted to call in and say how much I'm enjoying the British, uh, what is it called? The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. Fantastic news show. I just love listening to the three of you chatting away about uh, things that I love myself. It's uh, enormously good fun. Just a few comments of my own uh, that come out of episode three. Yeah, first off, I just wanted to share with you how sad it is to have to be talking about the death of Patrick McGowan, how tragic it is that he dies just a few months before the big new realisation of the prisoner comes out. I mean, let's hope that that new version of the prisoner will be something that is a great tribute to him and uh, isn't something that he would have been uh, ashamed of. It certainly looks very interesting from the early shots that we've seen of it. I, I certainly can't wait for it. And I wanted to add something about a show that you didn't talk in this episode, but you did talk about in a recent Podshock, and that's Tripods. I'm also very much looking forward to catching that on DVD, because I saw it years and years ago and haven't seen it since. I'm really keen to re-watch it. Um, one of the links, of course, that it has with The Prisoner is that it's filmed largely in Port Merion, where The Prisoner was filmed, and where I spent a huge amount of uh, my childhood holidays and was enormously uh, happy exper experiencing time there. And, of course, there is a there's a Doctor Who link there as well, which you'll all be aware of, but some of your listeners might not. I don't know. It depends just what the level of uh, geekiness there is there. But, of course, um, Doctor Who, the mask of Mandragora was filmed in Port Merion too, and if you've been to Port Merion, there's something magical about the place. There's something fantastic about that place that you walk around it, and it's if anything, it's it's like walking onto a film set, and you can see why people were inspired to create shows of the of the genius of the prisoner, and and also you know that it was able to act as a backdrop for shows like Doctor Who and the Tripods too. In fact, if you go back even to Danger Man, right back into the early 1960s you can see quite a few little clips of Port Merion uh, from there too. So if you're really into the heavy kind of geekery and wanting to look at background and so on, and uh, you, you, you want to kind of explore these things, then I just strongly recommend a visit to Port Merion. It's just, it's just a magical, magical place. And one more thing that I wanted to talk about uh, briefly in, in relation to your recent episode is the whole question of the access to British TV when you're out in America. Now, now I'm a British... Um, resident alien. So I, I'm living in the US. I've been here for the last three or four years. And it's a constant source of anxiety to us uh, to work out what the best ways are of catching our beloved British shows. And I, I just wanted to kind of agree with you about some of the frustration which you share about the way in which people 
can't access the shows that they would like to access. And, and we, you know, we'd even part with money. I, I've often said to other British expats, we will pay the licence fee, just give us access to the iPlayer. I mean, the technology is there to do this. I mean, if you think, for example, of sporting stuff, I, I get hold of uh, British uh, cricket by paying $150 or so a year to uh, an American company that lets British people like me that are obsessed with cricket watch the thing. How easy would it be for them to do the same thing, not just for British expats like me, but for other people that want to get hold of British content? And the thing which is so crazy about them not doing this is that it would be a massive revenue earner for them. They, they could earn you know, quite a lot of extra money. So let's just continue the campaign to try and get them to make it easier for us to see these things uh, at, at an earlier point. And if I can just sort of add to that a little comment about BBC America, I agree with you that BBC America is a great asset. We love having it. Uh, we, we've watched lots of British shows on there that uh, we you know, wouldn't otherwise have been able to get hold of. There is something I've got to put a bit of a complaint in about that with BBC, BBC America. Um, we watch Doctor Who in every possible way that we can. So, you know, we catch it, you know, by other means initially. Later on, we buy the DVD. So BBC is getting plenty of our money that way and through other kind of merchandising. But, you know, we try and watch it on sci-fi and we try and watch it on BBC America too. You know, we want to kind of support the show in the States. But if there's one thing that drives me absolutely nuts, it's the way that they treat it in the States. Sci-fi are not um, immune from this. Sci-fi cut bits of recent Doctor Who episodes. Uh, Fires of Pompeii, it had two or three minutes cut from it. Um, but BBC America are the worst offenders. I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I watched Voyage of the Damned on BBC America recently. They basically took that episode, which is well over an hour long when it was originally shown, and they cut it down to a kind of American 44-minute style, and they just massacred it. It didn't even make sense anymore. Uh, and it, it cut out lots of things which I love most about that episode, like that, that Murray Gold song, Stowaway. It misses the whole scene where they go down, they kind of beam down to Earth and, uh, you know, kind of see uh, Bernard Cribbins there in the street and so on, so you don't even get any continuity for later episodes in the series. So... BBC America, yes, three cheers for BBC America and let's get as many people uh, getting hold of it as you can and my sympathies to those that haven't got it. But at the same time, let's also get on their backs about massacring these programmes. There's no need to do it. They can put something like Voyage of the Damned on an hour and a half type schedule and you chuck as much advertising in as you want, but just show us the whole episode. It's just one thing which really drives me nuts. But having said that, um, I do want to kind of big it up and do want to say it's fantastic having uh, your show and having other people that want to celebrate British sci-fi and uh, keep up the great work. I'm looking forward already to the next episode. Cheers. All right, great. We were just oh, talking about that, you know, how people are willing to pay the licensing fees just to get the content that they want. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that uh, you can hear from a British guy over in the States who completely agrees with uh, your, your guy's philosophy. I mean, it's, com it's completely true. I, I, would, I would pay if I was a, an expat over in the States or wherever it might be. I'd pay a licensing fee to, to get access to iPlayer. It's something that I, I depend on these days if I, if I haven't caught a show. Um, you know, everybody has these massive, great, big, flat, beautiful flat screens that they can watch uh, the content on. Everybody's got a very fast internet connection these days. It just makes complete sense. And if you are a U.S. fan watching um, British science fiction via BBC America or the Sci-Fi Channel, I always encourage you to buy the DVDs as well because, unfortunately, they do cut out so much and they, they add commercial uh, content in the advertising breaks as well that breaks up the flow of the story. And, and they, as Mark pointed out, they, they, they're big cuts that are made just to um, fit in those commercial breaks. So uh, do yourself a favor and pick up the DVDs uh, rent them, purchase them, or, or download them through iTunes, uh, or, or you know, you, there are other online services that you can use to to purchase the the, the episodes. Mm, mm. I didn't realize that they cut quite so much out. Um, I knew that they they cut out the odd scene here or there to to fit in the advertising, but that really is quite bad. That's quite scandalous if they are cutting an hour long episode down to just 45 minutes um well, what was great was when um i had uh satellite television there was a channel called which i was getting at that time called hd net and they would show torchwood they uh, unfortunately they only had the right to do i think the first series of torchwood and uh i think bbc or or, or um 
Sci-Fi Channel got the exclusives for, I think it was BBC America got the exclusive for series and season series two. But but anyway, they had showed the, the original Torchwood in high definition, uncut, without commercial breaks, exactly how it was originally seen, you know, in the UK. And that was the only, you know, it was marvelous that you were able to see it in the US in that fashion. Mm. So it's, um, we need more of that. <laughs> <laughs> we do well and, we and, do. and you're right when you say that we're willing to spend the money i mean i think there are there are americans that would be willing to pay the licensing fee to have access to bbc programming whether it be by the internet or any other means i, I put it out there you'll raise the money it, the licensing fee is a british tax Essentially, I'm willing to pay their tax. I pay their tax when uh, your tax, James, when I buy stuff from the UK and I get the VAT tax mm-hmm. and things like that. So I have no problem with it, and we're willing to do it. If that's what you're aiming to do. Well, mm-hmm. here we are. Please take my money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can kind of understand it when you know there wasn't all this technology, but it's the 21st century. Come on, wise up, BBC, get with it. <laughs> we're we're what nine percent of our way towards the 22nd century. I mean, yep. we're, it's not like it would you know we just rolled into the year 2000. It was 2009. We're crying out loud! Let's go! Come mm-hmm. on, people! Chop chop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, as a lead into Ken's Come On, Take My Money, I'm going to remind our listeners here that this show is sponsored by you, our listeners and our audience, and we do appreciate that. And by doing that, you can uh, show your support. We have some Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi swag and gear, if you will. If you go to hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com or artchop.com, it will bring you to our website, and you can uh, go to the store link there, and you'll uh, be brought to... um, some um, a couple stores that one was um, I say a couple because it also includes the Sonic News Driver as well. You can get gear for that too. But one of which is a Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. You'll have cover the cover artwork for our podcast was um, illustrated on shirts and mugs and mouse pads and whatnot. And uh, mm. a small percentage of that offsets the expense of this podcast so we do appreciate your support and uh and if you would like to sponsor the show we're always open to that as well and there's information on our website about sponsoring our show so um check it out yeah it's yeah. fantastic in that you you support us two ways one as lewis said it it helps offset some of the cost and secondly when you're out there wearing um a t-shirt as an example you are showing the world that you're into british sci-fi and as we've learned from Podshock. The other people see you with that stuff and go, oh, you're into that too? And mm. it starts a discussion and you may meet some new friends. Exactly, yeah. I know that I've got my T-shirt on order. <laughs> no joke. appreciate it. <laughs> and actually, uh, the rumor is that uh, Lewis is adding a few, a few things that aren't strictly – uh, show related is that is that true there's gonna be a oh, few yeah, the, the, uh, art trap created um things on there yes stay tuned there'll be more shirts and designs and uh cool concepts coming forward fantastic mm. all right so i think that's gonna round out this show unless um you gentlemen have any other um nothing that's to my, on this side of the pond i don't know about ken i do not <laughs> I've, well, you guys were covering a lot of a, a few shows that I don't. Um, I know I feel like we excluded so. you. That wasn't our intent. So I, absolutely not. I used the time to good advantage. He was knitting in the background. <laughs> he has like a, this big seven foot scarf now. <laughs> he was seek. He had us in one ear and secretly had Blake Seven in the other ear. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, you get more of your fill of Ken by listening to Doctor Who Podshock, and you can find that. We, we've been saying that, but we so rarely do we give the address to that. If you go to podshock.net, it will bring you. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you got to be listening to our other podcast. I know this is a shameless plug, but hell, that's what we're here Especially for. Especially since most of the people who are subscribed to Hitchhikers is pro- are probably Podshock. Most listeners. likely, yes, but we can't just rule out people that aren't. And maybe, hey, mm. what's this Podshock that they're talking about? So if you go 
to podshock.net, or if you do a search on iTunes, you'll find our podcast and give a listen to. We have four years of history covering Doctor Who, and um, it's a fun show. And 24 yeah. years of history as an organization. That's right. Mm-hmm. We're in our 25th year. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we will be in a couple months. Crazy. Fantastic. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We'll come back next time for another exciting and informative episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. <laughs> and I want to thank Ken and James, as always, for, um, for making this a, a party. Thank you for having me. I'm always glad to be here. It's, it's, it's open bar. <laughs> if only, if only. Is Phil Collinson pouring? Is he that would serving? be great. That yeah. would be awesome. Lewis, you could pay us in beers. <laughs> That's it. Cheers. Cheers. Bye, everybody. for listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. Send feedback to feedback at hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com Remember, to support this podcast, please visit hitchhikersguidetobritishsci-fi.com or arttrap.com This is Louis Trapani. You can follow me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Trapani. You can follow James Norton on Twitter at twitter.com slash James Norton. Visit arttrap.com for more on this and other podcasts.